Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship this morning. We're glad that you're here. See some visitors. You're welcome here, and we're glad that you chose to come worship with us at Cornerstone. Um, the service today will be just, will alter a little bit from our normal way of doing things. We'll not have a formal opening as we typically do. Um, Brother Phil and Mary Ellen was in Africa recently. A couple weeks ago they, they returned and so I've asked Phil to share uh, maybe some pictures and some thoughts from their trip to Kenya and we'll do that at the end of the sermon. And so um, we'll begin this morning with our normal prayer request and opening prayer and I've asked Brother Rod Sprinkle uh, to have that opening prayer, but we will open that up for prayer request right now. If you have something on your heart, <coughs> Brother Gordon. Okay, so Pete Garber and, and his daughter is in Haiti this week. Lift them up in prayer. Yes. That's at Covington. Oh, MV Upper Valley Career Center. Karen. Karen Ray's niece has some cancer. I want to lift them up in prayer. Marsha? I would like to ask a prayer for the sisters of the Cox House Bible School, Pastor Jennifer Dupree, Brother Eric. They had um, just three good nephews, and they became Okay, the Dunker Brother in Bible School. Marsha's asking for prayer for specifically for the teachers that taught the truth probably would include the students as well on that. Well, we do believe in prayer, and let's come before him in prayer.
just pray for comfort. We pray for protection. We pray that your message would go to Peter and Leah as they work there in prison and all those who are reaching out out this morning and today and this week to bless and to take the message of confidence. Father, we want to pray for the friend whose mother has passed away. We know there's death in the room. We know that, Lord, and we pray for comfort for him, for his family, for Lauren Peters and his family, for Mike Shea and his family, and many others, Lord, you know each one. We just pray that you would send comfort today. Father, we want to pray for Karen Hughes and the Joel situation, but you know it in depth. We pray that the surgery would go well. We pray that she would return to strength. Father, you know that, again, you are the comforter. Comfort and bless and, and give peace and rest in her heart. Lord, Bible school. A place where your young people gather with a desire to know you better, to experience your presence, to be taught by your word. Lord, I do pray for those students, each of them. As they come away, Lord, help them to be changed into your image. Help them to just take what they've learned and walk it out and live it out in a world of chaos that needs to know that truly a comforter has come. Lord, I pray a blessing on those who taught, who became channels, who became instruments and tools in your hands that these young people might see the truth. Lord, I just pray a blessing on that work, that it would prosper, and that the that 2022 would show the fruit of it. Lord, again, as we come before you this morning, just open our hearts. Teach us. May your word come alive, and may our lives be enriched, blessed, encouraged, and strengthened, so we can join you in your work this week in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Rod. There were some handouts passed out, and uh, I think John limited them one per family, possibly. Didn't know how many we would have, but we do have plenty if anyone would like to have a copy that does not have a copy. You can make that known. If you would, if you care to take notes, I don't know if there's anybody else back there. Some people enjoy handouts and take notes as you go. Other people feel it's a distraction, so do with that what you would like. Uh, if you are using that paper, please make this correction at the very top. The text verse is Ephesians chapter 1, not chapter 6. Ephesians 1, verse 6. One, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7a. I want to begin in Luke chapter 10, 
And you don't need to turn there. Most of you are very familiar with the story that Jesus tells. We call it the Good Samaritan. You remember that account with me? There was a man traveling, the Bible says, and he came across thieves. And the thieves robbed him. They stripped him of his clothing, took everything that he had, and left him in the ditch to die. The Bible says that there were three different men that came along. The first one was a priest, a servant of God, passed by that man, and listen carefully, it does not say that he just walked past him, but he actually saw him. Sometimes we make excuse that we don't see the needs of others. This priest saw him, and he walked around him. The next man was a Levite, a man of law, a man that knew God's word. Again, the Bible says that he looked upon him, and he walked on around him. The third man was a Samaritan, one that you would not expect that would care for this man, but this man stopped, and the Bible says that he saw his need, he had compassion on him, he poured in oil and wine into his wounds, he cared for him, and he took that man to the inn where he would receive proper care. He paid his tab, and he he left them there, and he said, if this is not enough money, in my own words, I will come back and check on this man, and I will pay the remainder of the bill. Now, you may wonder why I've opened with that story. I want to ask you a question on the onset of the message this morning. Who do you see yourself as in that story? There was a priest, there was a Levite, there was a good Samaritan. You just think on that a little while, and I'm going to come back to that. Hopefully I remember. I want to begin with the connection of the story of redemption to the Christmas story that we just came through. In Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Luke chapter 1, verse 68. You can remember prior to the birth of Christ... Zacharias and Elizabeth was promised a son. His name became John. And here, when John was born, I just I need to go really short with this introduction. But in Luke chapter one, verse sixty-eight, Zacharias gave a prop. His his mouth was open. His tongue was loosed, and Zacharias gave this prophecy as John came in as a forerunner of Jesus Christ, and John, or Zacharias, 
saw Jesus Christ as a Redeemer. And he says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited us and redeemed his people. And the story goes on in chapter 2. We know the Christ child was born, this Redeemer. And eight days after Jesus was born, they took him back to the temple for circumcision. And at this time in the temple, Simeon is found in the temple. And I love this account of Simeon. A, A whole sermon could be preached on what Simeon says as he is so excited as he holds this Christ child, and he, and he says, uh, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And then it says at the same time, in verse 36, this one named Anna, I believe she was 84 years old, this prophetess was in the temple, and it says at the same time she came in, and she uttered words like this. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers both night and day. And she coming in in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. As she looked into the face of Jesus... She saw that redemption that was prophesied of, that was hoped for, for many years. We could go into the old scripture. Redemption was prophesied hundreds of years before Christ came. And you know some of those passages in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and Job, and so forth. And when the Christ child was physically among them, those who were looking for redemption saw it and experienced it. And that's my burden this morning for everyone here, everyone that may be watching or listening. Are you looking for redemption? If you are looking for redemption, you have seen it. in Jesus Christ. That redemption is before us. It's not something that we see yet to come, but we can possess it through Jesus Christ, just like Zacharias, Simeon, and Anna. The text actually comes from Ephesians chapter 1, As we've stated, you can turn there. I'll just read this text passage. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That includes all of us. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we 
should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Amen. Now there's a handful of you in here that may recognize this handout. Um, Last fall, several of us went to the leadership conference just on the other side of Kansas City, and this topic was given to me, Redeemed. It was so inspiring as different speakers spoke through Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2, almost verse by verse. There's some really heavy-duty doctrine in here, and yet it came with uh, simplicity and um, a a very inspiring conference. And oftentimes... Us speakers, well, sometimes we may choose to speak on on an entire chapter or maybe even try to summarize a book in a sermon, sometimes a topic, and this time and today we'll be speaking on these eight words found in verse 6 or verse 7a, in whom we have redemption through his blood. I had to be very careful in that conference not to infringe on someone else's topic, which was all around this topic of redemption. And so today is, is somewhat of a, uh, I'm taking that same topic that I spoke on last fall and yet tried to shorten it. I had more time there at the conference, so some things uh, I've tried to cut out. And yet, you know how the Holy Spirit works. He's also brought more into this topic of redemption. You are the redeemed, in whom we have redemption through His blood. You'll notice the, the, I listed the Greek definition here. The Greek word for redemption is the act to pay a ransom in full, deliverance, salvation. I looked up multiple definitions to this word redemption. There's literally, especially if you go online, there is literally hundreds if not thousands of definitions to the word redemption. It it can be used in the secular sense to redeem something. But in the spiritual sense, I, I took several of my favorite 
definitions and tried to summarize it into these words. The act of God to bring His rebellious, fallen, yet valued people back into a relationship with Him by purchasing them with the costly, precious blood of His perfect Son resulting in deliverance from the penalty, bondage, guilt of sin, even eternal salvation. The setting of redemption takes us to the forum. The forum is the place where slaves are bought and sold. And so spiritually speaking, believers are purchased, freed from their sin through Jesus Christ. So again, the text in in Ephesians 1 verse 7a are just eight words. And let's take a close look at these eight words. In whom? I suppose all of you know who that is speaking about. In whom? It is speaking directly and singularly about Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption through His blood. In whom is speaking about Jesus Christ. Just like in verse 5, let it be very clear that our redemption comes alone through Jesus Christ. There is no redemption outside of Him. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Redemption comes alone through Jesus Christ. We cannot add to it. We cannot take it away. Redemption is in Jesus Christ alone, in whom speaks about Jesus Christ. The word we, that is speaking about believers in Christ Jesus. That includes us. It includes we. It speaks singularly to those who individually come to Christ Jesus in faith. It speaks collectively. This word, we, believers, multiple believers, the gathering. The old scripture talks about the gathering. The new scriptures talk about the church. It is we, it is us, together. Believers in Christ Jesus, you and I, the faithful in Christ. The word have here, in whom we have. I love this word because it it brings it into perspective. This word have means to possess or to hold to have it. It speaks in the present tense. In whom we have. And again, my burden this morning is that everyone here would have it, would possess it. Just like Anna looking into the face of Jesus Christ and she says, 
to all that looked for redemption now has it. He obtained it. We possess it. To have in the current tense. The word redemption. Again, write whatever definition can summarize it for you. It's large to, to purchase back by the buying, by the paying of the ransom in full for the purpose of eternal salvation. Then this phrase, through his blood, and we could spend the entire message on the blood of Jesus, and we should. It is key to redemption. In whom we have redemption through his blood. It is key. We will see if we have time to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, that only his blood could bring this redemption. Not the blood of bulls, not the blood of goats, not the blood of lambs, but only in his blood redemption could be found. And through this blood, the price is paid in full. Through his blood. I want you to think for just a moment. Use your imagination, so to speak, and yet it's very, very real. Think about all of your sins. Now, I know you can't name them all. But just, just think in a collective sense about all of your bad thoughts, all of your bad deeds, both by commission or omission, things that you should have done that you didn't, or things that you did that you should not have. Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed His blood for all of those sins that you are now seeing. And I know, again, you can't think of all of them. If you're my age, living the life that I have lived, the sins are many. Page after page after page, if I was to list. And that's nothing to brag about, I'm very shameful. Now, you think about everyone in this room. If you're thinking of your sins and it's hundreds or thousands of pages, think about everyone in this room, everyone that may be watching. Just think, I just want you to get a picture of how valuable this blood is. Think about all of the sins of everyone that has ever lived all the way back to Adam. Now the volumes could not contain. Think about everyone that's living today. How many billion people are we up to now? Eight billion people or so. Think about everyone that may yet live in the future until Christ comes again. Volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of sin. The Bible says in the epistle of John that he came for my sins. 
and not for mine only, but for the sins of the whole world. In whom we have redemption through His blood. His blood is still sufficient. His blood is sufficient to wipe away my sins of yesterday. His blood is sufficient to wipe away my sins for today and for tomorrow. And not for my sins only, but for yours and for the sins of the whole world, past, present, and futuristic. We have redemption through His blood. And this sets the setting for the need for redemption. The need for redemption is great. I like that old song that we used to sing, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. And I praise Him for that. That speaks about the doctrine of substitution, which is very closely related to this doctrine of redemption. It should have been me suffering for my sin. It should have been me on that cross. That should have been my crown of thorns and my spear and my death. It should have been my blood. I really like that song, but as I think about that song, that's not good enough. Hear me out. I should have died, that's right. And it should have been my blood. But if I would have shed my blood for my sin, listen carefully, I would still be dead in my sins. Because my blood is not sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. Only the blood of Jesus is sufficient for my sin and for yours. The need for forgiveness, the need for redemption is great. In Sunday school, we're starting through John chapter 1. <clears throat> I want you to get this picture the big picture of the need for, for redemption. In Genesis chapter 1, it tells us of a perfect creation. In John chapter 1, it refers to this perfect creation. Jesus Christ was the Word, is the Word. That's in perfect tense past, present, future. And the, word, the Bible says there that He's one with God. He was, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you look up that word with, it does not mean beside of. In other words, the Word was not 
in the presence of God or beside of God only. The Word was one. That word with means to be one. He was the same as God. The Word was the same as God. And so the Word created. John 1, verses 1 through 3. All creation was and is made by Him. And I put that, word, that phrase, is, in parentheses because I believe in the perfect tense of creation. You can use, the, the, the word creation can be used past, present, and futuristic tense. In other words, some 7,000 years ago, God created, and the word created, past tense. I believe the word is still creating. So I can't think of the name of that doctrine, but some believe that God did create, and I'm thankful they believe that, but some believe that God created some 7,000 years ago and He spun the worlds into existence and creation is feeding off of that initial spin. And then God sat down on the seventh day and uh, basically folded His arms. I believe, and I think most of you believe, in even the present tense of creation. So when that tree in the fall turns from green to a vibrant orange, that's not a result of just 7,000 years ago, but God is very active in that creation even now. His power is alive now in creation. And so when that new little bunny is born in the spring, it means God is active in that creation. And when your new child is born, or, or even when some of us are aging, so to speak, all of that is God's involvement now. It's a present tense. It's, it's the perfect, considered the perfect tense of creation. And we know that creation is even futuristic when all things will be made new. And so God is alive, past, present, and futuristic tense of creation. Now, if the perfect creator, and I'm going to get in over my head here, but if that perfect creator created the perfect creation, and then man sinned and that perfect creation is dying and decaying, then that perfect creator had to die. In other words, the perfect creator was involved in creation, Jesus Christ. He must be involved in the perfect tense of redemption, if that makes sense. I'm probably not coming across clear. But it's vital that we understand that there is no one else that could redeem creation except for that perfect, the one that created it. And there's only one way that He can do that, and that is through His death. Because creation is dying. You, um, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the create creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. 
For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Listen, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then we with patience wait for it. And in summary, it's just saying that the entire perfect creation has died, is decaying, and is lying in wait and want for this perfect redemption and restoration. And even we ourselves are waiting for that. And we wait in hope. In other words, we know that this redemption is coming just as sure as if it's already happened. That's, so the perfect tense of creation, past, present, and future, all at the same time, we also have the perfect tense of redemption, past, present, and futuristic. God has redeemed. God is redeeming. And God will yet redeem through His Son, Jesus Christ, when He makes all things new. He is that perfect Creator. And He is that perfect Redeemer. Now you can flip your page if you're using the notes. There is a very close connection. Redemption is an, is an essential link to our salvation. And I've mentioned here, if, if there were a chain to pull us up out of our sin, redemption would be one of those links. And if that link was missing, there would be no salvation at all. In other words, redemption is very essential to our salvation. And it is very closely connected with all of these other links of salvation that I listed there. But redemption is unique from all of these other doctrines of salvation. It is unique in the sense that it comes from the, from the perspective of value and purchasing and cost and debt or price. The word precious I list here. The word bondage. The word ransom. The word penalty. And the word freedom. And there could be more. You see, the word redemption brings into perspective the value of your soul and the very fact that the priceless blood of Jesus paid that debt of your sin to, to purchase back your valuable soul to God. And that's why the metaphor of 
the slave being bought back is used oftentimes in redemption. I might ask, this is not in your notes, but who was this debt owed to? Some say the devil. Who, who, who was this debt owed to? And who would pay it? I believe that we don't owe the devil anything. I believe that God doesn't owe the devil one iota. The debt is created by God. He is owed that debt. And what is so unique about redemption is God paid that debt. So I can't get my mind around the fact that God paid the debt to Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ for the price of your sins and mine. And God stamped it in full, paid with the blood of Jesus. Let's take a quick look at what redemption is not. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with these things. And to me, this makes it real clear. Because the theme at leadership conference, the overall theme was first generation believers. And so we speakers were encouraged to speak with that perspective because the leadership conference committee realizes that multiple generations add, can add layers that can make the pureness of God's Word very foggy. And so the intention was to strip away those layers, those multi-generations of layers, and get back to first-generation thinking. And so Peter teaches that way. He makes it very clear. You know, Jesus taught this way sometimes. He would say what something is, and then he would come back and what it is not. Or John says, if you have the Son, you have life. And then the very next statement, if you have not the Son, you have not life. And Peter's teaching with that same uh, type of teaching. He says, look at what redemption is not. It is not obtained with corruptible things. You will never have enough things. And Ryan Miller spoke of that in Sunday school opening this morning. He mentions money. You are not redeemed with, with things like silver and gold. In other words, you will never be rich enough. You are not redeemed with the traditions of your fathers. In other words, you will never be pure enough. In Hebrews it says we're not redeemed by the old law. Bulls and goats could never be a good enough sacrifice. In Romans it talks about we're not redeemed with our works. You will never be good enough. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that we're not redeemed with our intellect. We'll never be smart enough. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll, we'll never be powerful enough or strong enough. In fact, it's only through our own weakness is where we find strength, Paul says. Our positions, we are not redeemed by our positions. You will never be influential enough. And you will never be spiritual enough of yourself. In fact, spiritual arrogance hinders our redemption. So we see very clearly that we cannot redeem ourselves. And that's where I go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who do you see yourself as in the story? Do you see yourself as the priest? The Levite? The Good Samaritan? Forrest, who do you see yourself as in that story? There's application. Jesus says... Jesus says that we should be a good Samaritan to our neighbors. And that may be the overlying theme. The reason I ask you, Forrest, is we were at Don and Jackie's, and I think you were there. And Don presented this to me, and I saw it for the first time. We strive to see ourselves as the good Samaritan, but in the perspective of redemption, I am the man in the ditch. I am not good. I am not the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. I am the man in the ditch. I could do nothing of myself. And Jesus, the good Samaritan, comes by and He saw my needs. He picked me up out of the ditch. He, he applied wine and oil. He cared for my needs. He took me in and he paid the price in full. And he comes back and checks on me. He intercedes for me. I am the man of the ditch. Jesus is that good Samaritan. Peter goes on and he says what redemption is. He mentions what it is not. And then he goes on in verse 19. We are redeemed and purchased with the precious blood of Christ. There is a whole list of things that we are not redeemed with. But he mentions here one thing that we are redeemed with, and that is the precious blood of Christ. All other forms of sacrifices and blood... Hebrews 9, we're not going to get there, but Hebrews 9 says that they, they were only types, shadows, and figures. He obtained eternal redemption for us, it says. He obtained eternal redemption for us. And with this, I think I'll close my comments with this story. You probably have heard it before. It, 
As the story goes, there was a little boy, worked with his father in his wood shop, and the little boy crafted a beautiful little wooden boat. This boat he painted blue and white, and it was a, a pretty little boat, and he loved that boat. And he would often go down into the back 40, and he would put that boat afloat in the pond. The little boy would go there, oftentimes in the evenings, he would put his boat in the water, and he would give it a little nudge, and the boat would go out a few feet from the bank, and the ripples from the water would, would bring that boat right back to him. And he, he loved that boat, and he loved to go down to the pond with his boat. But one time he went to the pond, and he, put it, he nudged that boat just a little bit too much. And the wind took that boat out in the center of the pond. And then the ripples took it to the other side. And it went into the overflow. And that boat disappeared. The boy was sad. The boy cried. He went back home and he says, Dad, I've lost my boat. I've lost my boat. And Dad says, no problem, we'll make you another boat. And the boy says, I don't want another boat, I want my boat. And he says, well, we'll go buy you another boat. The boy says, I don't want another boat, I want my boat. So the father tried to appease the son and he took him shopping for a new boat. And they're walking down the sidewalk and they're looking in windows and then he saw it. It was a pawn shop with used items, and in that window, the boy saw his boat. He was delighted. The little boy runs into the pawn shop, and he says, My boat, my boat is in the window. I want my boat back. Well, the pawn shop owner says, You have to buy that boat. And the boy says, But it's my boat. I made that boat. The pawn shop owner says, son, you have to buy that boat, and here's the price. Well, the boy didn't have that kind of money on him, and so he returned back home, emptied out his piggy bank, everything that he had, and he goes back and he buys that boat. And as the story goes, he goes... He, leaves the pawn shop hopping and skipping, shouting, twice mine, twice mine. First I made it, then I bought it. Twice mine, twice mine. What shall we sing? <laughs>